great. If you've got a Bible, um, we need something inspired this morning, don't we? So let's read the inspired Word of God. At least we then know God's spoken through something. Um, so let's, if you've got a Bible, Genesis 32, we are going to be in. And um, just a message that I, I just felt through my own um, stuff that I was going through this week. Last week I preached on um, what we can pray. And do you remember the 1 Chronicles 4, the prayer of Jabez? And we looked at um, that prayer that says that we can pray for God for blessing. Do you remember? Influence, presence, and protection. Well done, everybody. You passed the test. Um, so I, and I, I pushed in a little bit on the blessing, and I just felt this week, just I wanted to push in a little bit more on the concept of blessing, because I think most of us think it's like life's going to be easy. We come to Jesus, and he makes life so much easier, and all of our troubles, they just disappear in, in the light of his wonderful grace. Uh, and, and it's like, do you know what the reality is that sometimes it gets really, really hard? Uh, and, and so I want to preach around the title this morning, Broken But Blessed. Broken but blessed. So if you've got a Bible, Genesis 32, it may come up on the screen, it may not. I forgot all of the stuff this morning that I normally bring. So um, just forgive me, we were, Cara and I are a little bit tired because Isabella was up at 3am redecorating the bathroom. <laughs> <laughs> you can cut that out of the recording. Starting in verse 22, it says, The same night he, this is Jacob, he arose and took his two wives and his two female servants and his eleven children, God bless him, and he crossed the ford of Jabbok. He took them and sent them across the stream. I'm not surprised he sent them off by himself, so he could have a little bit of quiet time. Um, And everything else that he had, and Jacob was left alone. And a man wrestled with him until the breaking of the day. And when the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he touched his hip socket, and Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. Then he said, let me go, for the day has broken. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And he said to him, what is your name? And he said, Jacob. And he said, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel, for you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. And Jacob said, please tell me your name. But he said, why is it you ask my name? And there he blessed him. So Jacob called the place Peniel saying, for I have seen God's fate, God face to face, and yet my life has been delivered. The sun arose, and as he passed Peniel, limping because of his hip. Therefore, to this day, the people of Israel do not eat the sinew of the thigh that is on the hip socket, because it was touched, because he touched the, hips, uh, the socket of Jacob's hip on the sinew of the thigh. God, we thank you for your word. Lord, I thank you. When we're struggling to hear your voice, you've given us something we can run to that speaks. And it speaks through all generations to all people in this room. So Lord, we ask by the power of your spirit, you just speak to each person in this room. Do what this message cannot do, which is meet each one of us right where we're at and lead us closer to you. And Lord, we thank you that England are going to reign victorious over France this afternoon and be crowned Six Nations champions. Amen. Sorry. (laughs) So um, one thing uh, I love doing with my kids is wrestling. Um, We've got this thing where I will grab them pretending to give them a hug, and then I just tickle them under each arm, and they're trying to escape, and then we tend to end up wrestling. And often, Cara, uh, Bella will come up to me and she'll whisper, can we pretend to cuddle mummy and then tickle her? She does it really blatantly in front of Cara, like full voice. I'm like, okay, let's go in and give her a cuddle. Come on, mummy, we're going to give you a cuddle. And we wrap our arms around, and then we just tickle, uh, and then we just end up wrestling. And I, it's not going to do it all the time, but it's just something I love to do with my kids and um, love wrestling with them. And uh, it's funny because I think they're convinced that they could beat me. It's like the, uh, Ruben's running at me. I mean, he knows my weak spots. Just runs straight with his hands out. Uh, oh, you got me. Um, 
But it, 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 it's, it's cute. If somebody walked in and just saw them, it'd be like, he's convinced that he's got me pinned on the floor and he's wrestling me down. And others are so cute. Look, he's wrestling with his dad. Because I know and you know that he's got kid strength, but I've got dad strength. That's the truth of it. And I made you and I can get rid of you. I've got to show you who boss is. I can bring another one into the world as quick as I did you. So, well, I, Cara can. <laughs> <laughs> kind of easy for me, but not so much for her. So it's like I've got to remind them of who the strong one is. Uh, because I've got dad strength. It's funny, we've got this story here of a man called Jacob. Jacob uh, lived up to his name. His name was indicative of his nature. Jacob means deceiver, it means manipulator. And he was a twin. He was, um, his brother was Esau. Uh, have we got, Zach and Layla aren't here, I was going to reference the twins. Um, but we've got some twins here, and God bless them as they grow up. Um, I hope they trick everybody uh, with their twinage. Um, but Jacob and Esau, they're, they're born, and, and, and Jacob is holding on to Esau's ankle. And his mum says, Jacob, deceiver, manipulator, because he spent his life manipulating circumstances and people to get what he wanted. So his brother Esau, um, his brother Esau was the oldest and, and therefore was um, due to have the birthright and the blessing. So as the oldest son, that's what he would get, the birthright, which was um, his, his dad would pronounce over him, you are my oldest son and you get, you, when I'm gone, you get all of this. You get the family, you get the land, you get everything. But, but Jacob tricked his brother out of, the, bless, uh, out of the, um, the birthright over a bowl of stew. It's amazing, isn't it, what we give up our birthright for? A bowl of stew. Uh, and not only that, but Jacob uh, then tricks his dad into giving him the blessing. So the blessing was this verbal declaration over the son that God would bless them and be with them. And so um, Jacob dressed up as his hairy brother. His, his brother is the outdoorsy type, the kind of bear grills, go out and shoot some deer and hunt and all that kind of stuff. And, um, and he tricks his dad by, by putting on hair on his arms. And he goes in and his dad, Isaac, uh, so it's, you've got Abraham is their grandfather, Isaac, uh, and then uh, Jacob and Esau. And Jacob goes in and tricks his dad by putting on all this hair. And, and his dad, who's half blind near the end of his life, is saying, Esau, is, is that you? Um, Esau, is that you? And, uh, and he's, he's saying, yeah, yeah it's, it's Esau, it's Esau, when actually it was Jacob. And so his, his father then blesses him. Uh, and so Jacob has stolen Esau's birthright and his blessing. Not a great thing when you've got sibling rivalry going on. Not great for a relationship. Not great for the two of them. Because what happened then is uh, Esau commits to then get revenge on Jacob. And it says, actually, I think it's in Genesis 25, somewhere like that. It says that actually Esau comforted himself by thinking of ways to kill his brother. So if you've ever had a disliking to somebody, you can kind of relate to Esau. He comforted himself in thinking of ways to kill his brother. And so by Genesis 32, what happens is we've got this, this guy, Jacob, who has tricked his brother Esau out of everything. And then God tells him to go back to the land that Esau has. And so Jacob is being faithful to God, but he's going back to a brother he knows wants to kill him. And so he sends some messengers and he says, go, go and spy out Esau and see what it's like. And, and they come back and they say, yeah, Esau wants to see you, but he's going to bring 400 men. And so Jacob is frozen in fear because he knows that his brother could wipe out everything he's got plus himself. And that's the reality that Jacob finds himself. And so at this point, in Genesis 32, verses 9 to 12, he cries out to God. And he says, oh God, will you deliver me from Esau? Oh God, will you help me? Save me from my enemies. Have you ever been at that point in your life? And you just cry out to God. 
Maybe, maybe you're not you're not in that place where you're following God and uh, you know we are a church where whether you believe or not you can belong and so wherever you are on your journey uh, spiritually speaking um, you can belong here and 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 the the reality is that all of us at some point cry out to something bigger than ourselves whatever it is we cry out to it's part of who we are I believe it's part of what God has put inside of us to cry out to something bigger than ourselves and we find ourselves crying out in crisis to God Then what we see in in Genesis 32 is he cries out to God. Jacob cries out to God and then he has this wrestling match with a man. This wrestling match between Jacob and some mystery man. And the wrestling match goes on all night until the mystery man says to him, will you let go because morning is about to break. Don't forget, it says in, in Genesis that Jacob was the opposite of his brother. His brother was the outdoorsy, fighty type, but Jacob was the artistic, contemplative type. Always watch the artistic types. For those who remember my talk last week, I have better qualifications in art than I do theology. So always watch the arty types. But he's the artistic, kind of sitting in a tent, contemplating kind of person. Yet we're led to believe here that he has got some moves. That he is wrestling with this mystery man and he's got him pinned down. He's like bounced off the ropes, got him on the floor and he has got him pinned for the whole of the evening. And here the mystery man saying to him, you've got to let me go because morning is about to break fascinating but what's strange about this story is they're wrestling all night but then in a single moment this mystery man touched Jacob's hip and it's popped out a joint does that not seem strange that they're wrestling all night this mystery man is saying will you let me go will you let me go will you let me go but then he just touches Jacob's hip and it's popped out a joint see their strength clearly is not equal Jacob is no match for this man He's no match because what we find out later through reading this story is actually that this mystery man is God. And scholars uh, are fairly uh, universal in thinking that actually what this is, is this is God in human form. So this is Jesus. In the Old Testament, this is Jesus appearing to Jacob. It's what we would call, if you like long words, is what we call a Christophany. It's a pre-incarnate appearance of Jesus in the Old Testament. Some people believe it's an angel. I I think this is fairly conclusive that this is Jesus and Jacob is wrestling with Jesus. Well, that's what we've been led to believe, isn't it? That Jacob is wrestling with Jesus. But the text actually says, it says, the man, God, Jesus, wrestled with Jacob but could not prevail against him. See, loads has been made of this text over church history, over studying it, that, that what this text is about is about us wrestling with God. That if we want something from God, we've got to wrestle with God. If you want blessing on your life, you've just got to wrestle with God. If you want God to break through in your life, you need to, get on a, you need to wrestle with God. You hear it, some, some people say, oh, I've just been up all night. God woke me up and I've just been wrestling with him all night. Just been wrestling with God in prayer all night. And I want to say, have you? H- have you really been wrestling with God? Let, let, let's just lay it out. You, human, fallible, wrestling with God. I'm, I'm not so sure. I'm not sure that's what's happening here. It's just crazy to think that Jacob could wrestle with God and take him on and overpower him. That's what we think, don't we? We think we can take on God and overpower him to get from him what we want or what we need. Or that if we wrestle with God, he'll be so impressed by our display of strength that he'll go, wow, you really deserve something from me, so let me pour it into your life. In reality, our wrestling with God is like Reuben wrestling with me. A two-year-old taking on a 30-year-old. 
<laughs> That's the reality of us wrestling with God. That we think we can overpower him. We think we can run and pin him down, but it's no match. In fact, I want to even suggest that it's a little bit cute for us to think it, just like me watching Reuben wrestle. It's like, it's just cute. See, Jacob thinks he's wrestling God, but in reality, God is doing a work in Jacob. You see, up to now, Jacob has lived up to his name. He is a manipulator. He is a deceiver. He has done everything he can to to get what he wanted from God and from man. Jacob didn't realize that God wanted to do a work in him. He wanted to do something significant in him. And what he was battling was was Jacob's self-sufficiency. That Jacob actually had spent all his life getting what he wanted. He got all the land, he got all the wives, he got all the blessing, he got all the birthright, and he did it himself. And here comes God. Now don't forget, Jacob has cried out, God, will you help me? Deliver me from Esau. So he's cried out to God. But actually, the reality is, Jacob's got it all sewn up. Jacob's got the plan sorted. If you read back in Genesis 32, what actually uh, happens is Jacob cries out to God and says, God, will you, will you help me? Will you bless? Just deliver me from my enemies. Right now, let me get the plan sorted. Right, What's going to happen is this, guys. When Esau comes, I'm going to divide everything I've got into two camps. And when Esau attacks that camp, I'll be over in this camp, and then I'll be able to run because he's attacking there and I can run for it. See, Jacob cries out to God for God's help, but he's already got everything sorted. He is completely self-sufficient. He has completely got his life sewn up. He is the master of his own ship, yet he cries out to God for help. It's amazing, isn't it? How often do we do the same thing? We cry out to God for help, but actually we've got it all sewn up. We've got it all sorted. We've got everything together. Save me from my enemy is what he cries. But God's got a plan, a bigger plan. And actually what God does in Jacob is take him from being a manipulator to being what he wants him to be. And in an instant, God touches his hip. And in the truth, what's happening is Jacob isn't wrestling God at all. God is yielding himself to Jacob so he could do something in Jacob and have a moment with Jacob to remind Jacob, this is nothing to do with you and everything to do with Jesus. Jacob has cried out to God, but has gone on living like God doesn't even exist. Or gone on living like he doesn't even need God in his life. Gone on living like we heard from Eddie earlier on saying, you know what, God, I trust you, I trust you. But I'm going to stand over here and I'm going to panic about this situation. Because it's just like, God, you're not on the throne anymore. It's like a bus has just gone in front of me and it's like, whoa, it's knocked me off completely. And we all share that, don't we? We all have experiences like that. Where we we declare on a Sunday that God is God and he is ruler and he is sovereign over all us. And in the fire and the flood, you're faithful. But then on a Monday, it's like I get stuck in traffic and it's like, Jesus, where are you? It's like you've gone. I thought you were sovereign and here I am and I can't cope. So we cry out to him for help, but we live as if he doesn't exist. Oh, how easy it is to cry out for Jesus to save us. We even accept his offer of salvation, but then we go on living like it depends on us. Living like God will bless me if I prove to him that I've done enough or that I'm worthy enough. It's the human condition. We all want to prove that we have done enough to warrant some blessing. And even when I cry out for help, I still got it all sorted. People often say, it's like, it's amazing what God's doing in the Far East and in Africa. Why can't we have that here? Do you know, for someone that's traveled to those places, can I tell you what they've got? A desperation for God and nothing else. And nothing else can actually come close because they haven't got anything else. What 
what more is there when you say, God, I need you to provide because I've got nothing. I've got nothing. They can't live like God doesn't exist because they've got nothing else to rely on. And yet so often I find myself, I'm like, God, 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 but I've got everything back here just in case you don't. We're all right. We'll be fine. But God, I'm going to ask you because I'm a pastor and I'm meant to ask you. See, what Jacob didn't realize is that God was answering his cry for help. But what we don't often realize is how God goes about helping us. So here, we, we see God come and meet Jacob. But he doesn't just remove the problem. He doesn't just, just make the enemy go away. Which is what we think being blessed would be. That we're going through a health problem. God, will you just take it away? God, we're going through finances. Will you just pour it in? Because that will make life so much easier. But God says, no, no, actually, Jacob, for you, what that'll do is make you rely even more on yourself because you've already got the plan sorted. You're self-sufficient. So if that's what I do and I just make the enemy go away, it'll just prove that you can do it on your own and what's the need for me? God knows Jacob's propensity to being his own saviour and so God answers Jacob's prayer for protection from Esau by wrestling with Jacob until he is limping when he approaches his brother. Jacob couldn't even run from Esau if he tried. And his plan had zero effectiveness. Jacob could not save himself. He was totally dependent on God. To get to that place of being completely dependent on God. Not in our own merit. Not in our own strength. Nothing that we have done. But all of Jesus. Do you know I think we're wrestling. Sometimes we wrestle the wrong things. I think sometimes as Christians we're really good at, at renouncing what Satan's doing. As we should. And we're so good at, at, at making every name bow to the name of Jesus, as we should. But I wonder if there are seasons when our greatest obstacle is what I believe Jacob struggled with. And it's not specifically the devil, but it's our own achievements, our own self-sufficiency, our own ability that gives us the perception that we have earned or we deserve something from God. And the reason that we would sometimes rather wrestle with God than receive from God is because it appeases who we are. I've earned it. I've got it. God, I've been up all night wrestling with you. And then when he pours it out, you're like, see, it's because I wrestled for it. And it just builds up our own flesh and builds up our own pride in having achieved something. And the danger is when we feel like we've achieved something, we start to look down on others around us. Not worked hard enough, have they? Not been in church enough Sundays of the year? Been clocking them up? Clearly haven't been praying hard enough because I prayed and God did this and clearly you've not been praying because God hasn't done that. And we might not speak it out, but we think it. We think it. We think it. The Hebrews 11 verse 6 says, Without faith, it is impossible to please God. Not that I've got more ticks in the good column than the bad column. Just got to get that sorted. If I've got more ticks there than here, God will let me in. And I'll get in by the skin of my teeth and everything will be happy. That's not what it says. says, Without faith, it's impossible to please God. Without faith, it's impossible to please God because God, because, please God, because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and he rewards those who earnestly seek him. Do you know what having faith means? It means believing that God is real. And it means that God rewards. That's what having faith means. We believe God exists, that God is real, and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. 
So the reason God blesses us is because we seek him for who he is, not because what we've done. That's why God pours blessing into our life. Having faith means we believe that God is real and that God rewards, that he is ultimately good. And so the blessing of God does not come because we wrestle with God to bless us. It's because, and it's not because we have the right pedigree. Paul wrote into this. We can fall into the trap of thinking, I've done enough. I've, I've, like, I've battled against sin for these last four weeks. I'm doing really, really well. That thing that gets me every time. I've not done it for like four weeks. Really good. Not got angry with this or looked at that or thought about that. It's been, I've done, I'm, like, I'm doing really, really well. And we fall into that trap. But Paul says in Philippians 3 verse 2, he says, I'm going to read it from the message because I just think it's, it just makes me laugh. You'll see why in a minute. It says, steer clear of those barking dogs, those religious busybodies, all bark and no bite. All they're interested in is appearances. Knife-happy circumcisers. Isn't that great? It's like if you're new to church and you're like, circumcision? If you're visiting, then um, don't worry, that's like a thing that Paul battled. In fact, let me touch on it a minute. Because Paul was battling against these religious people. The, the, the Jews were, the, were really the dominant the, the people that followed Jesus first. Uh, and they, they, they saw that Jesus was their Messiah. But then this battle happened that the Jews that were following Jesus were saying, hang on a minute, you've got to be circumcised to follow Jesus. But he was, Jesus was busy pouring through his spirit out on the Gentiles who weren't circumcised. And the Jewish believers in Jesus were saying, no, no, you've got to be circumcised. You've got to, you've got to have the cut. And Paul was saying, no, 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 uh, if it's all about a cut in the flesh, then we're as bad as the pagans. Because that's what they do. This is about a heart. And God's going to pour out his spirit on all flesh. So he's saying, these religious people, these, these people, yeah, they're following Jesus, but they're all about appearances. The knife-happy circumcisers, I call them. Um, the real believers, are, here we go, the real believers are the one the Spirit of God leads to work away at the ministry, filling the air with Christ's praises as we do. We couldn't carry this off on our own efforts, and we know it, even though we can list what many might think are impressive credentials. You know, my pedigree, and this is Paul listing off his stuff, a legitimate birth, circumcised on the eighth day, an Israelite from the elite tribe of Benjamin, a strict devout adherent of God's law, a fiery defender of the purity of my religion, even to the point of persecuting the church, a meticulous observer of everything set down in God's law book. The very credentials these people are waving around as something special. See, apparently these people were saying, I've got it. I've got the CV. I'm sorted. You've got to live like me to get God's blessing. He says, I'm tearing it up and throwing it out with the trash, along with everything else I used to take credit for. And why? Because of Christ. Yes, all the things I once thought were so important are gone from my life compared to the high privilege of knowing Christ Jesus as my master firsthand. Everything I once thought had going for me, dog dung. That's why I like the message. I've dumped it all in the trash so that I can embrace Christ and be embraced by him. I didn't want some petty brand of, re- of righteousness that comes from keeping rules. Let me explain what that means. Righteousness is about our right standing with God. And I don't want some inferior brand of being right before God because I've kept everything that I'm meant to have kept. Because if it's based on you, when you mess up, what happens? It's gone. Because it was all based on me doing the right stuff. So when I've done the wrong stuff, no longer am I right before God. I don't want that kind of inferior brand of righteousness, he says, that comes from keeping a list of rules when I could get a robust kind that comes from trusting Christ, God's righteousness. Paul is saying, I had the credentials. I had it all in my life. I got it all sorted. I was everything that humanity needed to be. But then I encountered Jesus and I needed to tear up the CV. But the tendency of humanity, the thing we see in Jacob's life, is that we try and do it on our own. 
And that's why church history has made Genesis 32 a passage about wrestling with God rather than God wrestling with Jacob. It's because if or when God does move, we can take some of the credit. It makes us feel good. It makes us feel significant. That's why we're prone to religion. That's why we're prone to rules. That's why we like to do a course that says you need to do this, then this, then this, then this, and then this will happen for you. Because then we can look at everybody else and say, well, I did that, 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 and that. And look, I'm as free as a bird. Clearly, you haven't done that, 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 and that because you're not free. So you need to do all those things. And we we like that because we can measure it and we can set targets and it makes us feel like we've achieved something. And Jesus is saying, but I just want a relationship with you. They're great. Do those things. But I want a relationship with you. Why are you wrestling me? You know, I, 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 I rang uh, Nikki. Some of you will know Nikki. I was hoping she'd be here this morning. Um, but I, I rang Nikki this week and I said, I want to mention something in my talk. What's the best way of saying it? And she very graciously said, actually, the way you've just said it is really good. Because I want to honour um, some of the people that have been coming into our church recently. And um, they, they, they're those that have been through NA, Narcotics Anonymous, and AA, Alcoholics Anonymous, I want to honour them. Because there's something in their walk with God that I need. Something that I can learn from there. I am better for being around those that are broken. Because it makes me realise just how broken I am. And I'm learning from them what it means to be broken before God. And to be dependent on God. That actually, I've got a dependency on other stuff. But I've still got the dependency. And I need to break that so I can get closer to Jesus. And those that are coming in from AA and NA... They've realized that they've got a dependency on something and they're saying we need to break it. And actually the only one we can come to that does break it is Jesus. And they've learned to walk with a limp. I wonder if we can be a people who encounter the outrageous love of Jesus, receiving it not on our own merit, not because we've wrestled it out of his hands. Church, I'm here to tell you the wrestling match is over. Can I even suggest that with Jacob it was never really a wrestling match anyway? Because where Jacob said, I won't let you go until you bless me, which means um, it insinuates that the blessing was down to him and on his ability. Instead, we've got Jesus who hung on a cross and said, it is finished, full stop. The wrestling match is over. There is no wrestling match. You cannot earn anything. You do not deserve anything. It's not on what you've done, but it's on what the cross represents. That In that moment on that cross, what happened is this. All of the sin throughout the age of history, throughout What's represented in this room, let's be real. Can we talk real? The sin that we do, the stuff that we think, the places that we go, all that stuff that keeps us distant from God. What happened on the cross is all of that stuff converged in one moment. Throughout the whole of history, throughout every generation across the whole world, it came into one place and Jesus said, I'm going to take it to the grave. And it is gone. And not only is it there, but I'm going to rise again and rule over it. So when you accept what I've done on this cross... That it has died with me and I rule and reign over it. When you accept what I've done, that's the position you now have. That's the position you may have. That we're no longer sinners but we are saved by grace. That is the transformation. And it's nothing to do with us. This is what we see in the life of Jacob. Jacob wrestled with Jesus. And Jacob thinks it's all about him. But God's wanting to do some work in his character. Look, verse 26, it says, Then he said, 
this is God. Let me go for the day has broken. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And he said to him, what is your name? He said, Jacob. Then he said, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel, for you have striven with God and men and have prevailed. See, up to this point, Jacob, I believe, was like Paul. He was like uh, Paul in his early days, where he was like self-sufficient. I've done it all on my own. I've got the credentials. I'm happy. I, I can do this life. Yeah, I'll acknowledge there's a God, but really it's all down to me. They, like ins- they, they epitomize the concept of God helps those who helps themselves, which can I just tell you is not in the Bible. But that's, that was their life. I'll manipulate and deceive my way to the top. But Jacob's encounter with Jesus literally transforms his nature. That's what God does. What's your name? It's Jacob. No, 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 it's not. I'm going to call you Israel. Which literally, if you do, uh, depending on the context, it can mean different things. But literally the word just means God fights. That's what it means. God fights. And it can mean us fighting with God, but it can also mean God fighting for us. Either way, it was a constant reminder to Jacob that he was now different. That he had once wrestled with God, trying to do it on his own, but he couldn't ever do it on his own. And actually, when, when, when God prevailed against him and, and poured out the blessing, it was not based on him. It was, I've changed your name. You are new nature. Now I'm pouring out my blessing upon you because it's nothing to do with you. It's funny, isn't it? Matthew 5, greatest sermon ever preached. If you, ever, if, you, if you think I'm preaching rubbish today, that's fine, because I probably am. But um, you can go away and read Matthew 5. It is the greatest sermon. Matthew 5 to 7 is like the greatest sermon. If ever on a Sunday morning you like, got nothing out of that, just go home and read five, Matthew 5 to 7. Greatest sermon ever. It's called the Sermon on the Mount. And Jesus gives this sermon. And it's amazing because um, w- we, we think that it's like, um, come to Jesus and all your problems will be solved. But Jesus gives this message on a mountainside and he says, right, I'm calling you to be the salt of the earth. I'm calling you to be the light of the world. That's what I'm calling you to be. I want you to be more than you have ever thought you could be. And then he starts talking about murder. And he says, you think murder is about killing somebody. Well, I'm going to tell you, if you say a harsh word against somebody, you might as well committed murder. Hang on, Jesus. A bit harsh. And then he goes on to talk about adultery. And he says, you guys are all using loopholes in the law. But actually, if, if you even look at a woman, then do you know what? Committed adultery. I'm like, Whoa, hang on, Jesus. Standards, way up there. Not sure I can do that. And he goes on and he, he starts talking about divorce. And he starts saying, you all think it's the law says unless they're unfaithful. Stop, stop using the law. This is the standard. This is the standard. And you're like, Jesus, I, I can't keep that standard. And he goes on and he talks about loving your enemy. And he says, if they slap you in the face, offer the other cheek. This is the standard that God is calling humanity to live at. And then to top it all off, at the end of chapter 5, he says, now, that's the standard. I'm going to blow that all out of the water because you've got to be perfect as my Father in heaven is perfect. Could you imagine sitting through that sermon? If I, meant, if I preached that message this morning, I could empty the church in a week. Be perfect as God. Oh, I can't do that. I'm just going to walk away. Man, no way I can live like that. Be perfect as my Father in heaven is perfect. This is the standard we either seek to live at like Jesus did, uh, like Jacob did, trying to do it on our own. Or we have to admit, I can't do it. I, I can't do it. And what Jesus does is he's not telling us to live up to a standard and, and look down on everybody else when they stop. You're not living up to this standard. No, neither are you. 
See, what Jesus is doing in the whole message of Jesus is he's bringing humanity to the end of ourselves where we have to say, I can't do this on my own. I need another one that can. And Jesus says, yeah, I know who you need. You need a savior. You need a savior. And we have to go, yes, I cannot do this on my own. But our propensity is to just battle on like we can. That's why Jesus starts this Sermon on the Mount by saying, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who know they need God. Because you know you can't do it on your own. Blessed are those who hunger after the things of God. Blessed are those that the world mocks. How is that blessed? Because it's then that you realize I need a savior. I need to stop living like Jacob. I cannot do this on my own. And that's what Genesis 32 is all about. Not that Jacob managed to wrestle with God, into God into submission, but God reveals Jacob's self-sufficiency and just how much he needs God. And what I find fascinating is that prior to this encounter for Jacob and God, Jacob looks like he's got his life together. All the wives, God bless him. All the land, God bless him. All the kids, all the cattle, he even walked upright and straight like a man. But then he encounters Jesus. And after his encounter with Jesus, he walks with a limp. Jacob left that encounter broken but blessed. Do you know, I think that's the strap line of Christianity. If you're wondering whether to follow Jesus, or maybe you've been following Jesus and you feel a bit disillusioned that it's not going well. It's like, things are going against me. Can I tell you, we, we think that come to, come to Jesus and all your problems will be solved. Can I tell you the strap line of following Jesus? You are broken but blessed. You are broken but blessed. He will not solve all your problems. You will be blessed beyond what you've ever, ever, ever experienced, but that doesn't mean you will never face another temptation like you did before you came to him. You will not go through this world floating three foot off the ground. That is not the reality. Come to Jesus and you'll realize you always had a limp. It's just you did a really good job of covering it up. Jacob, manipulator, deceiver covered it up until he encountered Jesus and then he could be true with himself and true before his God and say I've got a limp in my life when we get honest about our hang-ups when we get honest about the fact that we do not have it all together God can start to work with that when we realize that we need a savior we need Jesus that's when he becomes a reality And I'm not saying that we don't need to deal with the sin in our lives. That's not what I'm talking about when I say we need to be honest about the limp we've got in our life. Do you know what the limp in our life is? The propensity we all have towards sin. That you know there's something in each of our lives. There's one thing, probably more than that, but one thing that, will, that pulls us. Let's be honest about it. Why, why are we trying to cover it up? Why are we trying to live like Jacob, covering up the fact that we have a limp in our life when we can just be honest with each other? Say, so God, this is in my life. You know, it's in that place of being broken that God can then actually bless because we admit that we need him. I've not got my life altogether. That actually, we do need each other. Yeah, I, I need you in my life. Nikki and those guys, I need you in my life because you remind me how much I need him. I, I need you because you remind me that I try and pretend that I've got my life together when actually it's desperate and I need Jesus more than you could possibly imagine because I, I know that I, I, I can walk off in that direction. But when I'm, when I'm alongside others in this church, I, I know that I, I can be honest and say, but I need to 
draw near to you, to draw near to God. It's about building trusting relationships that go beyond this meeting. Can I encourage you to connect groups? We're going to do another little push again in a few weeks if you, if you want to be part of a connect group. Yeah, the, the, the joy of a connect group, it goes beyond the meeting and it should be about a relationship where you are so so for the people in your group. Where it's just like, do you know what? I'm for you and, and we're going to do stuff together and I'll, I'll ring you and I'll text you and, I'll, I'll, and let's, let's, let's go for coffee outside. How, how are you doing? What about that? And you get to a point where you trust somebody enough to say, do you know what? I've been pretending that my life is okay, but I struggle with that. I remember being in a connect group in an, in an old church and uh, it was it was hilarious because this guy, we, we were a group of, of um, guys, uh, there's about four of us and we'd meet every other week and um, this one guy recently got saved and he joined the group and he didn't quite realise Christian etiquette um, and so he just like, we're like, how you doing? And we're like, I'm doing great, God bless you, really good isn't it? And isn't God good? And he's like, no I'm doing rubbish, I'm addicted to that and I can't stop it and we're like, uh, okay. So how are you enjoying your drink? Nice. And, but he just he just blew it out of the water, and we were just like, actually, why are we pretending? Why why are we pretending? Because I look at the future of our church, and I think we're going to have to get a whole heap more comfortable with people that have a limp. That's the reality. That is the reality of our church. And you're like, okay, I'm going to go away and pray about that. I'm just going to pray that God would give me a heart for broken people. Can I tell you, don't. Please don't do that. First time you've ever heard a pastor say, don't pray about something. Don't pray that God would give you a heart for broken people because you are a broken person. God, I need you. I need you. I need you. Admitting that we're broken people. And the grace and mercy of Jesus has stooped down and picked us up out of the clay and washed us down and set us on a journey, limp and all. Can I tell you, your pastor's got a limp. Ian, will you come and play for us? I feel like we need the Holy Spirit. If you're willing and able, can we stand together? Got a couple of minutes before we're going to draw to a close. You know, I just feel God saying actually that he's putting somebody's name on your heart right now who's usually here but they're not or maybe you've not seen them for a little while and you need to connect with them and give them a text or a call this week. Our pastor does that. No, no, no. Church family does that. There's someone on your heart and they've been on, you, they've been on your heart today during this service and you need to give them a ring because maybe their limp is leading them in a direction that you know they shouldn't go and they know they shouldn't go. And maybe just you connecting with them will cause them to limp back in this direction. So oh, I've got a limp as well. Let's just limp together. Let's just limp together. Let's just limp together. <laughs> Trust in Jesus. He'll sort that out. And if we keep our eyes fixed on him, at least we're limping in the right direction. See, the devil would have you think that your weaknesses write you off. But it's in our weakness that he is strong because it's in our weakness that we, remind, we are reminded that we need him. God, I'm limping today. I've woken up and I know that I'm already limping. I know that that pull is really strong to do that or to do this or to think that or to be that kind of person. God, I need you. And it's when we admit that we need him when we get alongside each other as the community that I cannot even do this day without you. When we get honest with God, 
that's when he's strong because he starts working in and through us because we give him permission to I can't even get through today without you and it's a Sunday and I'm meant to be the pastor and I'm meant to be preaching but I can't even get through today without you God will you come because when I'm weak you're strong and lay down the mask stop playing cover up stop walking like I've got it all together just journey with those around me that have got a limp let's just close our eyes I don't know where you're at with your walk this morning but I want to give people an opportunity maybe for the first time you need to let the mask slip a little bit before your creator say do you know what there's nothing wrong in my life I've got nothing that God needs to deal with really honestly let the mask slip a little bit honestly standard that God sets is unattainable and yet he says I've got a saviour, I am a saviour come to me come to me, all you who are weary all of you who are beaten up, all of you who are trying to live a life that you could poss- never possibly achieve, come to me because my burden is light in this moment whether you uh, have never given your life to Jesus or maybe you've been uh, trying to pretend that you're, you're, you've not got a limp. Maybe you've been trying to pretend that your life is all together. Who needs a saviour? I want to invite you in this moment to accept what the saviour has done for you. It's what faith is what pleases God. To believe he's real. And to accept that he's the one that gives the reward. Not on your own strength, not what you could achieve. So in this moment, if you want to give your life to Jesus, it's as simple as this. Responding to the gift that he has given himself saying yeah I'm going to give the free will choice to believe in what Jesus has done for me and does it mean all your problems go away no does it mean you're not going to limp anymore no it probably means that actually you're going to limp uh, even more because you're going to open up to the fact that I've got a limp and I need Jesus so in this moment if you want to accept Jesus or you want to come back to Jesus I'm going to count to three and something very very simple you just raise your hand in the air and as you raise your hand as every eye is closed I just want to pray for you So if you want to come to him for the first time or come back to him, limping towards him, then one, two, three, just raise your hand right now. Amen. 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 God, I thank you. overwhelmed because of what you can do. Oh God, you take us, yet whilst we were still sinners. We don't have to pretend that there's no sin. You say there is, but let me deal with it. That whilst we were still sinners, you died for us. Each one that has just raised their hands, you died for them. They don't have to pretend anymore. So God, I just thank you right now for those that have just responded. Their hands have just raised to represent the heart that is just opening up to you. God, I pray, would you just flood them with your presence. Flood them with your love that is not based on what they have or haven't done, but it's based on what you've done. Overwhelm them with your acceptance. That no matter what they have done, it wasn't, it wasn't the good stuff that got them saved. So it's not the bad stuff that's going to get them unsaved. It's you, Jesus, 
So overwhelm them with your acceptance and pour out your forgiveness. Oh, so often the hardest ones we're on is we're hardest on ourselves because we know what we thought, we know where we've been, we know what we've done. So God, just pour out your forgiveness. There is now no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. I want to invite you still while every eye is closed. If you are willing, we don't pressure anybody in here to do anything. But just for these final couple of minutes, I want to invite you just to raise a hand or hands in the air. As every eye is closed, this is between you and God. And the reason I'm asking you to do that is if you're willing. It's because do you know what happens when an air, uh, 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 a battle is going on and they overtake that which they've been fighting against and the, the, the enemy surrender and they walk out don't they with hands up so I surrender nothing I can do I'm giving up fighting right now I'm giving up this battle I'm surrendering can I tell you the wrestling match is over it's not based on your performance it's based on his and he has done enough It is finished. So the battle place comes to that place of surrender where we raise our hands and say, I'm giving it all. I give up. But I'm giving it up to the one that I can trust. I'm giving it up to the one whose name is stronger than any other name. So we raise our hands. This is how we fight our battles. We raise our hands and we surrender to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. God, you see these hands and they represent hearts and they represent lives that are giving all to you. But we are not a church and you are not a God that calls us to perfection, but to the place of surrender. So God, this week, Lord, I pray that this moment will not just be a spiritual Sunday moment, but on Monday night, on Wednesday night, on Thursday morning, whatever happens this week, we'd remember this posture, that this is how we fight our battles. When we cannot do it on our own, we have to surrender to the God who has already done it.